The text this morning comes from Judges, Judges 2. And I'm going to read from Judges 2, 1, verse 1 to 5. The angel, then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bokim and said, I led you off from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side. And their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. Then they called the name of the place Bokim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Jesus Christ, what comes to your mind when you think about the book of Judges? As a young child, I used to ask my dad to tell a bedtime stories on mighty warriors in the Bible. And the book of Judges is full of such heroes. For instance, Gideon and 300 Samson, the mighty warrior, Ehud, the left-handed, and children, they love to listen to those kind of heroic stories. And whenever they listen to those stories, they say something like, wow, that's really nice, and I wish I could be just like them. In fact, not only children, but everyone so loves to listen those kind of stories, especially in this day, day and age that heroic movies such as Batman, Superman, Iron Man are circulating in the movie market. Of course, it is good to read those heroic stories of judges and learn how their faith led them to action. It is good to understand how God used those individual judges in his redemptive history. However, when you read the book of Judges more carefully, then you will see the book of Judges is not just a string of stories. The book of Judges is not like a story of Batman and Superman because the theme of the book is not about the heroic action or courage of individual judges. There is something more there. In order to understand the book of Judges better, it is crucial to understand the background in which all the events are taking place. The first and the last verse of the book of Judges, it, it shows the, the historical setting very nicely. The book deals with the period after the death of Joshua, and before there was any kings in Israel. In other words, it was a time between Exodus and the monarchy. In the time of Exodus, 
Moses was in charge. He was God's friend, and he spoke with God face to face. After Moses, you know that Joshua was Moses' successor, appointed by God, and he was full of spirit of wisdom. And now the book of Judges start with a temporal notice after the death of Joshua. When Moses died, he formally and publicly made announcement uh, arrangement for Joshua as uh, his successor. But when Joshua died, when he was about to die, he didn't make any arrangement for his successor. With the passing of Joshua, many questions were raised. Well, who is going to be a leader? Who is going to be in charge? Who is going to make those important decisions for the people? Well, the obviously, the answer is, the Lord is the one who makes all the decisions. The Lord, he commanded the people of Israel to finish the conquest with the faith. But the people of Israel, the question is, are the people going, are going to be obedient to the Lord to finish the conquest successfully? Will they remain true to the Lord or will they compromise and tolerate those ungodly culture of Canaanites. Unfortunately, the people of Israel, they failed to obey God's commandment. In today's, in today's passage, Judges 2, verse 1 to 5, it's kind of, it functions kind of as a hinge between the conquest, of, uh, of conquest summary of chapter 1 and the rest of chapter 2. When you read chapter 1, you can see the people of Israel, they failed to obey God's commandment. We constantly read about the inhabitants whom the, the people of Israel failed to drive them out. In chapter, for instance, verse 19 of chapter 1, the people of Judah could not drive out the inhabitants. It repeats again, verse 21, the people of Benjamin, Benjamin did not drive out Jebusites. Manasseh did not drive out inhabitants of Beth Shin. In verse 27, Israel grew strong, but they did not drive Canaanites, but instead they put them in forced labor. Ephraim, Jebelin, Asher, Naphtali, they all failed to drive those inhabitants out completely. The whole history of Israel reflected this same pattern. The Lord, he made a covenant with his people through his promise to Abraham, and he showed his faithfulness to, his, to this covenant by, by freeing them from the bond of slavery. The Lord asked for obedience as a part of the covenant. He gave a specific instruction to his people, but the response of the people of Israel was something like, Yes, Lord, but... However, despite all people's unfaithfulness, we see that the Lord still comes to them, comes to his people to show his steadfastness. And please, let us consider the following theme and points. The Lord confronts the uncovenant, unfaithful people with his steadfast faithfulness. And we are going to see the first point. The Lord reminds the people of his steadfastness. Second, the Lord brings accusation to the people. And third, the people respond 
with Christ. In the beginning of chapter 2, we read that now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bokim. The phrase, the angel of the Lord, is, is very important here. When the children... When children think about an angel, they easily think of a white creature with two wings. But in the Bible, the word angel literally means messenger. We can find this in Judges. For instance, Judges chapter 2, well, the angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon. We also see the angel of the Lord brings the good news about the birth of Samson to his parents. There, specifically, the parents became so afraid to see the angel because they thought they saw a god. And the divine message of the angel spoke, the divine message that was spoken by the angel was in the first person, especially in our passage, chapter 2, verse 1, the angel of the Lord said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give it to your fathers. Therefore, the angel, we can say in this passage, is equated with the divine person, the second person of Trinity. And the thing is, whenever there is an angel of the Lord appearing, there is a significant redemptive historical moment happening. For instance, Exodus Exodus 23 verse 20 It's a very good example. It says there, the Lord promised an angel to guide the people, leading them from Egypt. And and there, that was called the angel of the Lord. When we read, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bokim, we need to understand that the location Gilgal is very significant also. Well, Gilgal was located on the eastern side, eastern border of Jericho, and it was the first campsite for the people of Israel. They stayed in that Gilgal for the first time as a campsite ever since they entered into the Promised Land. The east boundary of the, of the Promised Land was Jordan River, and we read in Joshua chapter 5 that, that while people of Israel camped in Gilgal, They kept the first Passover. All males, they were circumcised as a sign of covenant. And on the very next day after the Passover, the people, they they ate the produce of the land. Unleavened bread and parched cake. Ever since the people of Israel, when they crossed the Jordan, the manna ceased being sent. And Gilgal was also a place where they piled the 12 stones as a monument. And it was the sign of God's faithfulness. The fact that the angel of the Lord came from Gilgal was a reminder to the people of something. What, what was it that the angel of the Lord wanted to remind the people? The Lord wanted them to remember what happened at Gilgal. Again, Gilgal was the first campsite where the people kept the Passover and they had a circumcision. And moreover, they built these this 12 stones of, of monument. And all those things were kind of 
a reminder. The Lord, He wanted them to remember the purpose of the journey. What was this purpose of the journey? And this, the purpose of the journey was to go to the promised land so that they can worship God in freedom, free from bondage. Exodus 12, it describes how the Passover reminded Israelites that, that this freedom was a result of God's showing His covenant faithfulness. Well, children, they would ask their parents while they were eating the unleavened bread, saying something like, Dad, ew, this unleavened bread sucks and yucky. Why, would, why do we have to eat those kind of things? Why do we even have to keep the Passover? And the parents, they were supposed to remind them how the angel of the Lord had gone from house to house of Egyptians and killed the firstborn. But the Lord passed over house of the people of God. And the parents, they were supposed to teach that it was the Lord who was faithful to his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord... He kept his promise even if it required him to bring all those horrible ten plagues. Circumcision was meant to remind the people of God's faithfulness to the covenant also. It was a sign that God specially chose the people of Israel and distinguished from all other nations. Of course, it was such a great privilege. But the privilege comes with obligations. While the people celebrated the Passover, they had to eat from unleavened bread. Of course, the bread had to be 100% yeast-free. It was strictly forbidden, for instance, to mix one type of thing with another type. It was wrong to wear a cloth of mixed Fabrics. There were signs that people of Israel had to had had, a, had there was a, there was a sign that people of Israel they had to be pure and stay away from those ungodly people. The twelve stones of monument in Gilgal was to confirm the privilege and the obligation of the covenant when they entered into the promised land. It was a constant reminder. It was, it was like a, a newly married couple exchanging rings. The rings, of course, is a sign that shows the privilege and friendship that a husband and wife has to keep. The rings also imply an expectation and faithfulness. You cannot take off this ring and go out to the nightclub to flirt with others. The ring reminds you that you are supposed to be loyal to the one you married. In the same way, the monuments in Gilgal was a reminder like the ring. The monument reminded people of their proper obligation. And despite of this reminder, people were not really faithful to the covenant obligations. If they had been faithful, 
then the angel of the Lord, he would not come to the people of Israel to warn them. Like the Israelites, we also have a reminder which our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. This reminder is the sacrament which we have to participate and witness. Whenever we witness or participate in this Lord's Supper, we are reminded of God's great faithfulness through His only Son, Jesus Christ. By His flesh and blood, we are saved from the slavery of sin. When we baptize our children, we are reminded again and again that God has set us apart holy. However, as our form of Lord's Supper and baptism also states, there are responsibilities that we have to keep. That is, we have, we have to keep ourselves holy and set apart. We, ought to, we have to walk in a godly way of life. We have to teach our children what is the godly way of life. We have to come to church every Sunday to worship the Holy God. Otherwise, we are not being faithful to the covenant. And that's what happened to this, in this chapter. This leads to the second point. The Lord brings accusation to the people. The angel said, I will never break my covenant. I swore to, swore to give your fathers. It is true that the Lord had kept his covenant promises. But the people of Israel, they broke the covenant by being disobedient. What was that they did that what was that they did that angered the Lord? Verse 2. It says that they should not have made a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. God's people had been commanded to do the exact opposite. The Lord gave a specific, instru specific instructions before the people of Israel entered into the canon. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 to 5, God said they had to destroy all those people and their idols. The sins of all those people in Canaanites were abomination before God's eyes. Their idolatry, their ungodly way of life was not pleasing at all. Well, and for the God's people, the people's, the Canaanites' ungodly lifestyle could be a stumbling block in their relationship with their covenant holy God. When we read Judges chapter 1 carefully, we see how each tribe failed to drive the inhabitants out. They even made a covenant with the people. We read, for instance, in chapter 1 verse 19, that people of Judah could not drive them out because the inhabitants had amazing weapons, iron chariots. But we see that even after the Israel people grew stronger in verse 28, they still did not drive those people out completely. Instead, they put them into forced labor. In the verse 28, 30 
33-34, the Lord commanded the total destruction of those idol worshippers. But the Israel's response was, Yes, Lord, but their labor is so handy. We are new immigrants. We need as much labor as we can get. And the disobedience that the Lord has seen was a failure to expel the people of Canaanites. Yet there was something more than that. The text says, You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. In Exodus 34, verse 12, the Lord specifically ordered the people to guard their hearts. If they fail to do so, of course, they will make the covenant with their the ungodly people. And they will become snares in their midst. They will be, the people will be, mis, they will mislead the children of Israel with their gods. And it's in Exodus 34, verse 16. As you see, these two kinds of failures, first tolerating the Canaanites and making covenants with them, they always go together. What the Lord warned in Exodus 34 was true. When you compromise with just a small thing, it can lead you into the bitterness and regretful life. Actually, we can see that in everyday life. And please allow me to give you a small example. About 10 years ago, I went to a Christian university. The principal, he was a faithful elder of the church. And there was a mandatory chapel service that all the students had to attend. And however, because the university did not want to give an impression that it, has, it wants to discriminate against other religions, they also allowed other religions. Well, actually, they allowed the freedom of religion. As a result, some students, they created the Roman Catholic club in the, in the campus. There was a Muslim student evangelizing in campus. Several students, faithful Christians, asked the school to force the club to close and do something about it. But the school was afraid of the government. And then the Roman Catholic club and Muslim students tried to earn people's attention through their good works. They were doing a bunch of volunteering works and also evangelizing by showing good characters. And they started to say something like Reformed, Presbyterian, Methodist, and Roman Catholics, they all worship the same God. They even asked students to go check out the Roman Catholic Mass. They said something like, hey man, you, you should come to our Mass and check it out. There are some nice looking girls in our church. Well, it sounds funny, but many, actually many young people Many young souls fell into this kind of trick. They actually targeted the new Christians who were not able to discern between what is biblical and what is not. A similar thing was happening among the people of Israel. The Canaanites, 
They worshiped the God of fertility. The Canaanites probably asked the people of Israel to come and check it out. Check their gods. They introduced their gods who could, as a, someone who can give the Israel, people of Israel many sons. The people of Israel was very aware of the covenant that they made with their holy God. But they made another covenant with those inhabitants. The people of Israel were, they were warned by God in Exodus 23, verse 33. The people of Israel will face hostile Canaanite population. The Lord knew this, He knew this and warned them, they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare for you. Indeed, we see that all those inhabitants became troublesome. They became thorns to the people of Israel. The Lord brings a fearful message in verse 3 of our, our text. He said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods be a snare to you. Isn't it the same with us, brothers and sisters? The Lord has freed us from bond of slavery, of sin. We ought to hold on Jesus Christ only, and we ought to trust God alone. But we are forgetting God's covenant of faithfulness. Do we not make another covenant with something else? Do we not have any idols? Idols that keep whispering to us to make a covenant with them, like television, iPhone, PlayStation, Internet. Is our confession becoming something like, our help is from iPhone who gave me access to Internet and games, instead of our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth? Once those things begin to control your life, they will become like snares. And they will steal your devotion time. The more you fall into this snare, the harder it gets to get out from the snare. It is the same with us and our sins. It's, it's like an addiction. We sin, we regret, we try, to, try not to do wrong things. Yet soon we found ourselves making the same mistakes again and again and make a secret covenant with those things. And it is very hard to break the cycle. We despair whenever we come to church, hear from the minister, and whenever we read from the law, we feel embarrassed, guilty, and we sometimes doubt our covenant membership. But brothers and sisters, I would like to encourage you to look on the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord is still faithful. It is clear in our passage, the Lord said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's why the Lord came to balk him from Gilgal. The Lord still came despite of the disobedience of his people because 
He wanted his people to repent. Yes, God is just. The Lord showed his justice by saying, I will not drive them out, as he warned in Exodus 23. But God is also merciful. When his children take a wrong path, God disciplines them because he cares. Therefore, the statement, I will never, dry, never break my covenant with you, comes to us as a great comfort. Jesus Christ made us promise that whoever comes to him, he will never drive them out. Whoever repents with a true contrite heart and turns his heart from idols, the Lord will remember his covenant and he will surely forgive you. And this leads to the final point, the people respond with Christ. After hearing the message from the Lord, the people of Israel felt a bitter grief and they wept. They, they made a monument and, well, as a response of their bitterness in a place called Bokim. Bokim means a place of weeping. And their actions suggest that they recognized their shortcomings and their wrongdoings. They felt sorry. They cried out loud to the Lord. And their cries were followed by sacrifice. And they hope that their sins may be forgiven through the sacrifice. What do we do when we neglect our covenant obligations? Those people at Bokim, they place their hope on the animal sacrifice. The people had to have endless sacrifice to pay for their sins. Yet we can have a better hope since we have Jesus Christ who already made the atonement once for all. We see in the book of Judges that the Lord provided many judges to free and guide people of Israel. Although it was Israel's fault that caused their sufferings, we ought to remember that it was the Lord's initiation that he provided judges to save his people. And we read further that we will see in the rest of Judges that some of Judges are not perfect either. And God sent kings who were supposed to lead the people back to the covenant. Yet, the kings also made bad mistakes. And in many cases, the kings led people away from the Lord. And all of those failures made people of Israel to look to the perfect king, Jesus Christ. Unlike the people of Israel, and unlike us who fail to eradicate the source of sin, and Jesus Christ, the ultimate powerful king, successfully he, he obliterated our sin and by his one sacrifice on the cross. Brothers and sisters, let us hold on our perfect King Jesus Christ and ask him for guidance. Whenever we face temptations, we can pray that lead us not into temptation. We can approach Jesus Christ for help since he is a true man he was true man that he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. He knows 
our weakness better than anybody else. And because our Lord Jesus Christ successfully conquered and eradicated all our enemies through his death, we can respond to him not with bitterness like those people did, but with hearts that are full of joy and thankfulness. Amen.